What happens when somebody is unable to make their own financial decisions? Nate and Mitch interview Tim Sugar and Maggie Primo, two estate planning attorneys from Niter and Boucher, to discuss planning for incapacitation. Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. We have a couple guests in our remote booth today. Uh, we're excited to have Tim and Maggie, uh, state attorneys here in Madison, that um, really believe the same way we do in the importance of estate planning compliance. Uh, today's topic is going to be geared a little bit more toward um, the, the loved ones that we have in our lives, whether it be our parents, our, our grandparents, um, just you know, family, friends. Um, and, and we as a younger generation or our clients uh, as, as the younger generation um, may need to make some decisions on their behalf, may need some, some uh, assistance in terms of how do we make these decisions? How do we start having these conversations? So that's really the direction that, that we decided to, uh, to take it from today uh, is a little bit more of that. Uh, you know, how do we make a, a decision for our loved ones uh, as, a, as a cohesive group? Um, and how do we even start that conversation? So it's, it's a great topic. We think we're excited about it. We're excited to have Tim and Maggie on. Um, Mitch, why don't you give a little bit more information as to their background, and then we can uh, hear from the, uh, the the star guests themselves. Perfect. So it was almost coincidental in a way that we met Tim and Maggie, and it was through a common client of ours. And they were doing some estate planning tasks and getting some trust established and getting their beneficiaries aligned on their accounts and everything. And they worked with Maggie originally. And this was back, probably started back in, in 2019, I'm guessing. But they're working with Maggie. And then Maggie went on maternity leave for a while. So then Tim was subbing for Maggie a little bit and helping out as we were coordinating some of those, some of those tasks and getting their beneficiaries updated. And ultimately, I, I got to interact, and it was a pleasure working with, with both of them. So over the last several months, Nate and I have gotten to know both Tim and Maggie, you know, just through lunches and, and joint comment or joint client events. And uh, we think that they have a lot to offer. So we wanted to bring them on this podcast particularly and to the topic that Nate was already discussing, right, is financial decision-making when someone is unable to make decisions on their own behalf. So Maggie, I'll, I'll throw the first question over at you. People typically don't think that something is going to happen to them. And when I say incapacity, that basically just means that they're unable to make their own decisions. And in our case, we're talking financial decisions specifically. Medical decisions and things are, are also obviously something that is important as well. But a lot of people don't take any action because they don't think it'll happen to them. And if they do take any action, it might be too late, right? So what types of proactive measures can people take in order to help someone else make a financial decision for them if need be? Yep. So you're exactly right. I think uh, we run into that a lot of times where people wait until it's too late. They don't think it's going to happen to them. Um, and then what happens is um, nobody has that legal authority to make financial decisions for the client. So um, in order to get help, the court needs to get involved which involves going in front of a judge and have a hearing. Um, it's called a guardianship proceeding, and it can be really complicated and expensive um, and oftentimes embarrassing for people to go through that. Um, so luckily, there are a couple 
relatively easy things that you can do to avoid having to go down that road. Um, so to be proactive about it really pays off in the end. Um, so the, the most common tool is called a durable financial power of attorney. So durable means that it's effective even if you're determined to be incapacitated. So even if you cannot make your own financial decisions, this document continues on. Um, and what you do in that document is you appoint an agent that would essentially step into your shoes and take over uh, handling your financial affairs. And um, we always recommend in that document that you not only appoint uh, an agent, but you also appoint a successor agent so that if the first uh, person you named cannot act, that you have somebody else there uh, that can step in. Um, so some examples of powers that an agent might have would be the power to access your bank accounts to pay your bills if you can't pay your bills anymore, um, to avoid getting into to issues with creditors or falling behind on your mortgage, um, and also to, say, speak with financial advisor about investments. If there's decisions that have to be made, your um, advisor then has somebody that they can go to. So um, that's the, the main tool, this financial power of attorney. Um, it comes in a couple different flavors. So you can have one that's effective right away as soon as you sign it. Or you can have one that's what's called a springing power of attorney, which basically means it springs into action um, upon the occurrence of an event. So that's typically if a, if a doctor is determined that you can't make your own decisions, then that power of attorney springs into action um, and becomes effective. And so not, not all power of attorneys are springing, it sounds like, right? You got the, you, first you started with the durable power of attorney for, for finances, but the springing piece, that's something that needs to be elected or uh, can you dive into that a little bit more? Mm -hmm. So you choose, so um, either flavor, one that's effective immediately or one that's only effective upon incapacity, they're both durable in that they'll both be effective even if you're, you've been determined to be incapacitated. But the, um, the one you sign that's effective immediately means that that person that you've elected to be your agent can take control right away. It doesn't take away control from you, but it gives somebody else control at the same time. So you elect when you create the document, do you want it to be effective right away or do you want it to be a springing where um, it's, the agent only has that power if a, another event happens, like a doctor's determined that you're incapacitated? And I'll ask one more question before letting Nate, Nate ask a question or two. But Maggie, then the, the, it's, it's almost like an analogy with beneficiaries, right? You might have a primary beneficiary on your account in case you were to die, and then you might have a contingent beneficiary. And you're saying kind of having that contingent set up is, is critically important as well, it sounds like in this case, when you're deciding who is going to be your agent. Mm -hmm, absolutely, because you just never know when you're going to need this document. So if the person that you've elected to be first is out of the country or having a medical issue or for whatever reason just doesn't want to take on that responsibility, you have to have somebody else that's named there that, that would step into that role instead. And we see people go down two, three, four layers. I mean, you really can go as deep as you want, but um, it's it's really important to have somebody named as a backup. Yeah, Maggie, one, one quick question and then and then um, we'll uh, move on to a, a slightly different topic. But how easy is it for somebody to change that elected person if um, they make that choice, say, you know, three years after the uh, the document was initially written? 
it's easy. It's an easy document to, to update and to change. So um, it's, yep, it's, it's a real quick just meeting to discuss what you'd want and then updating, updating the document to name that, that new person. So it's not a big ordeal. People, we recommend that you look at your documents frequently to make sure they still um, comply with your wishes. So it's a real easy change to make if, if time goes on and you decide you want somebody different in there. Perfect. So, uh, Tim, uh, bear with Mitch and I. I think we got a little bit uh, too excited about having uh, the guests on the line. We didn't even uh, identify where you guys were from. So help us out with the firm that you and Maggie work for and, and kind of how you would define um, each of your respective uh, specialties at uh, your law firm. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Um, you know, Maggie and I both work at a law firm called Niter & Boucher. I would call our firm a mid-sized firm. Uh, really that specializes in estate planning and business law. Um, Maggie and my primary areas are estate planning. That's really the only areas we practice in. Uh, but of course, within that area, you know, everybody passes away with all sorts of assets, including businesses, including real estate and other things. And so I, I'd say Maggie and I kind of have a, a broad practice in that sense. But uh, generally speaking, we're both estate planning lawyers. Perfect. Thanks for, for doing that. And um, my question centers around um, kind of the family member and the family member discussion, right? So um, I'm sure you guys get involved with this um, for clients that, uh, you know, that they're, as Mitch alluded to, you know, if you, if you wait too long, so how do we not wait too long? You probably have to have kind of a more of a, of a family conversation about it. So my specific question is, um, when does it make sense to talk to your children from the parent side or the uh, parents from the children's side uh, about the difficult topic? I mean, what does that conversation look like? Uh, I'm sure you've been involved in, in at least a handful of those, either around somebody's kitchen table or, you know, in your office. What does that, uh, what does that conversation entail? Yeah, no, great question. And this is a, a very common question that a lot of our clients ask. Um, you know, and in my opinion, I'd say it's never too early to have that conversation, um, although it is a, it's a very difficult topic to have and to bring up. Um, I have heard of a rule, I didn't come up with this rule, but the 40-70 rule, and that rule would say that if you as the child are 40 or if your parent is 70 and you haven't had the conversation, uh, the, the time is now to have it. Um, so, you know, when I talk with clients, I think of ways uh, to bring up the conversation and specifically from a child's perspective, you know, current events is a good segue into having this conversation. You think of today's environment with COVID um, and all the things we're seeing in the news. Um, that's a good time for a child to you know, gently ask a mom or dad about what their situation is um, and, and just how well set up they are for an emergency. Um, I'd also say, you know, that because of the level of discomfort around this conversation, this isn't a, typically a one-time conversation, but rather it's lots of little conversations, um, especially if you're the child and you're trying to learn about your mom or dad, you know, you're really attempting to take, I'd say, bites, uh, trying to find little bits of information um, at, at their comfort level. It has to be at something that their speed and and it's something where the child is trying to understand the mom or dad specific situation. 
Um, as part of that conversation, you know, I think you're really attempting to do two goals. You're trying to find out their financial situation so that surprises are avoided. Um, and the second goal being you're trying to understand the legal situation. You know, what documents do they have in place? Uh, from the well, in, in speaking, sorry, Tim, speaking to that point, I mean, it's pretty, uh, pretty safe assumption, uh, if I might, that a, uh, a typical will uh, is not going to get that job done, correct? No, I would say from the legal perspective, you know, you're, you're looking at a will or trust, uh, going back to Maggie's conversation, a financial power of attorney, a healthcare power of attorney, a living will. Uh, also, where is all their assets? Uh, a roadmap, so to speak. And those, that's all part of this conversation. And that's where I'm saying that it's, it really needs to be several conversations to understand all of these pieces. Absolutely. So, Tim, uh, for one, I, I apologize. I, I did a terrible job of introducing you guys. I think I just said, yeah, I worked with Tim. I worked with Nate. We had a joint client. Everything was great, right? So I apologize. Nate, Nate did a great job of actually correcting that and, and giving you guys the opportunity again to at least tell you where you're from. So. The audience, thanks for listening and bearing with us here. And Tim and Maggie, I apologize live on the, the podcast here. But um, uh, back to some of the questions here. So, Tim, what, what should someone, and agent was the term that Maggie used in her earlier question, but what should an agent that's making decisions on your behalf, what quality should they possess? Yeah, uh, thanks, Mitch. And no worries on the introduction. We got it in and uh, ha happy to do that. So <laughs> as far as qualities. You know, from a financial power of attorney perspective, uh, I'd say the number one quality is somebody that's trustworthy. Uh, you have to have somebody in place that you feel comfortable and confident that can handle your finances. Um, I think knowledge of money and finances is very important. Uh, you have to have somebody that understands, especially if they're going to be doing any sort of investing for you or working with your financial planner, uh, somebody that understands uh, market risk and is able to have those conversations with the financial planner. Uh, somebody that's very organized, uh, they might have to give an accounting to some point. You know, you think of uh, siblings or other family members that a financial power of attorney might have to answer to and uh, describe what's going on. And so somebody that's organized can give that accounting. That's important. Um, I'd say somebody um, that has knowledge of the personal situation. I mean, and of course that's at the principal's, you know, comfort level, but ideally your, your agent would know your passwords, uh, know where your assets are, maybe have the chance to work with you on your situation before an emergency happens so that if they're called into action, it's a seamless transition uh, it's not something where, you know, mom or dad has become incapacitated and now the agent's trying to scramble to get up to speed to meet some sort of uh, emergency. So, you know, ideally it would be somebody, somebody that has that amount of comfort level um, where they could be brought up to speed in a, in a uh, non-emergency environment. Can you talk a little bit about... Because a lot of times people think that it might... Maybe it is a, a child, right? It might be the agent, but... You might have contingent agents as well, as Maggie was alluding to. Can you then hire someone that might not be a family member? And are there people that might be at a corporate type level? And what does what does that relationship look like? And what are some of the pros and cons maybe of using somebody that's 
an immediate family member versus somebody else? Yeah, another great, another great question, Mitch. Thanks. Um, you know, there are corporates out there that will serve as a financial power of attorney. I would tell you that from a financial power of attorney perspective, a lot of corporates, I'll say, are allergic to that role. I, I think they're allergic because uh, it's such a broad spectrum of tasks that a corporation could be called on when serving as a financial power of attorney. And rather, they would serve in the capacity as a trustee of a revocable trust. Um, so a lot of times you'll see a corporation named as trustee. You'll see accounts titled in the name of a revocable trust. And the corporation is then able to take over upon incapacity um, with their trustee hat on um, versus with their financial power of attorney hat on. And, you know, really in the role of trustee, they're able to do many of the same, if not the identical things that a financial power of attorney is able to do. Um, rather, they're just using trust assets versus assets that might be in somebody's individual name. Um, but, you know, pros and cons. Um, pros, I would say, you, you know, you don't have a loved one that's having to take on that extra responsibility of, of uh, caring for the parents in addition to handling their own situation. Um, so that's awfully nice to not have that burden to be on a family member, but instead have that on uh, somebody else. Um, you know, the, the con to that is, of course, a corporation will charge some sort of fee to serve in that role. Um, they also don't have personal connection where a family member might know the situation and know the family members uh, obviously very well. A corporation will take some time to get up to speed to understand everybody and understand the relationships that are there. But um, it can certainly be a great solution for lots of families, especially families that maybe aren't as close or that don't live close or where a mom or dad doesn't want to put that burden or responsibility on one child, given that they might have their own careers and their own families uh, that they're dealing with. That's great. Uh, great insight, Tim. And Maggie, I think I'll, we'll, we'll finish uh, with a question for you. Uh, and I think it goes without saying that we uh, will we'll have you and, and Tim on again for another podcast, because this is obviously a topic that can, can go a lot of different directions. And so um, I think for, for our, a lot of our clients and, and our listeners, the ability to kind of you know, take further steps down this path with more information in a podcast probably makes a lot of sense. So um, the last one for today, and then, uh, like I said, we'll get you guys back on again here real soon, but, um, what is it, or excuse me, how often does uh, a plan like this need to be reviewed? Um, you know, once it's in place, once the documents are signed, once everybody kind of knows the roles, um, is it uh, a situation where, the, you know, it, it's done, put it in a drawer and never have to worry about it again, or is it something that should be periodically reviewed? Well, um, we design the plans to, uh, with, you know, withstand the test of time. So, I mean, we do put, like we were talking about earlier, contingencies in there. So we try to anticipate, okay, if something happens, if somebody um, passes away unexpectedly, um, what would happen next? So we try to have all those contingencies in there um, to have the document um, withstand the test of time. However, I, I don't recommend placing the documents in drawers and just forgetting about them um, because 
things can change so easily. Um, we, we typically recommend that clients try to do a review every three to five years just to see if changes are warranted. It's, it's possible that, that no changes need to be made, that everything is still um, works as you would want it to. Um, but I would say other things to look at are, um, was there a major change in your family situation? Was there a death, a divorce, something like that, um, that would make sense to come back and take a look at how your estate plan flows and make sure that it still does what uh, you want it to do. Um, change in financial situation, either a negative change or a positive change. Those are other reasons that we encourage people to pull out their estate plan and take a look again and make sure it makes sense. Um, and then if there's a, a big change in the law, um, that, that could also warrant a change in somebody's estate plan. So, um, and like I said, it's possible that even if there isn't a major change, the plan will still work, but I think it doesn't hurt to just take a look at the documents and go through them and just make sure that, that it still says what you want it to say. And it still makes sense and gives you peace of mind that things are how you want them to be. And I might be opening up a topic here that <laughs> might go in a completely different, you know, a whole different podcast potentially. But Maggie, you mentioned changes in the law. Has there been anything recently that have, have changed your role and Tim's role when it comes to reviewing estate plans? So any recent legislation or anything that has changed how you guys are approaching or reviewing some of these these plans that you put together for your clients? Yep, there, there was a pretty major change um, at the beginning of the year um, called the SECURE Act, and that changed the way that uh, beneficiaries can receive retirement benefits. So that did have a, a pretty major impact on how we take a look at structuring people's estate plans, um, and it's a reason that we encourage people to take a look at their plans, give us a call, and see if, if their plans still make sense, um, because it, it was a pretty um, pretty sweeping change to to those um, rules and regulations. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a it's a topic that just never seems to um, kind of go away for obvious reasons. It just it, it makes so much sense for people to have plans in place, and and uh, as the law changes, and as um, you know, just how people um, that that do it, what you two do, they you know how you guys write these plans uh, in in a more and more effective way. You know, as time goes on, I know that the plans as of today are are nowhere near what the plans were, say, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, you know, from from a positive angle. Uh, they're just better, more, uh, uh, more appropriate for people's uh, situations than than they were uh, even five or 10 years ago. So it's it's continually evolving. And we really appreciate your time today to come on and share your views. The uh uh, the worst case scenario, at least the way that we see it or define it with our clients, is for people to not do anything. At a minimum, uh, it, it just a, a smart decision to at least sit down with somebody like Tim or Maggie or uh, anybody else that that does estate planning law. Uh, sit down with them for 20 minutes or a half hour and at least understand what this can potentially do to protect you and your families. Um, it... it Believe me, it'll be a half hour or 45 minutes well spent. Uh, even if you decide to do nothing, if that's the decision you make, at least you made an educated decision then um, as to what you were going to do with your estate plan, which is, is far better than doing nothing. So thanks again, guys. We appreciate it. Uh, we will be back again with another episode of Give Me Some Truth very shortly.
Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and Mitch DeWitt are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make should be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.